Hello everybody, my name is Kanai Kapadia, and on this episode of Hindsight, I'll be interviewing Ben Goldberg. Ben Goldberg is currently the founder and CEO of SalesGig, an organization that is helping clients stand out and share their value at scale. Before his current endeavor, Ben began as president of Orico, an employment screening company where he led the organization from 20 employees to 200 employees with 2,500 global customers prior to the successful sale to CareerBuilder. At CareerBuilder, Ben was elevated to divisional CEO, where the organization grew to 700 employees and 6,000 global clients. During his tenure, revenues grew 45 to 65% annually. EBITDA expanded 10x, and the organization won HRO Today's Baker's Dozen recognition seven times, as well as Ben himself was a two-time recipient of HRO Superstar Award. Ben, thank you for joining me on the show today. And I thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Ben, so tell us the story of how you came to lead Oracle. You know, I never thought I'd run a background screening and drug testing company. That wasn't a career aspiration for me when I, uh, right. when I grew up. I think I wanted to be a professional baseball player or soccer player. But I did, yeah. uh, I did grow up in the Chicago suburbs, uh, went out to uh, Colorado for college, got my degree in uh, business, specifically in entrepreneurship and business marketing, and went worked for a company called UPS and corporate sales, and uh, then went on to a payroll business. And as I went through the payroll business, built that up and sold it, I saw an opportunity to come back to Chicago and uh, take over a background screening company that my father had started in an upstairs bedroom of our family home and expanded to about $2 million in revenue. When I came back, I was given the choice if he was going to retire and sell the business or I could step in and take it over. And uh, that was an offer I couldn't refuse, as they say. So I came back and started as VP of sales. And within a couple months, for certain reasons that occurred in the business, I took over as president and uh, had, a, had a great run with it. Great experience. Mm-hmm. So the organization, when you started, was just 20 folks, fairly small business, and you ended up growing it to 200 employees. Was that by design? Was that market forces at your back? Tell us the story of how it came to, uh, to grow to the ultimate sale to career builder. Yeah. So, you know, every, every company has their story. And ours was that we, we had had a founding team that really focused on providing excellent quality product and a service that people knew that they could trust and help their organization achieve the goals they had. Because of that, when I took on the company, it really had a great loyal customer following, a differentiated product in the market. It just simply needed to have a larger voice. And so what we ended up doing is rebranding the company in a way that allowed it to position uniquely in the market, solve problems that clients were facing, and it allowed us to scale the organization. When I look back when we were when I was just taking over the company, I had no idea we would get to the to the level we got to. And every step of the way, you know, we learned things differently that, you know, we kind of looked back at three months prior and said, wow, if I knew then what I know today, I probably wouldn't have done it that way. And so you know, it was a constant learning endeavor, but we kept focused on that for us, the North Star of, of growth and just providing exceptional customer and candidate experience. 
every step of the way we were able to to meet the demands of the time. That was that was pretty mm-hmm. pretty cool. You talked about rebranding Oracle. Mm-hmm. The need for rebranding is sometimes a soft topic, difficult to show hard business results around or the hard business uh, need for. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the thought process behind that? Yeah. So uh, Oracle was started in 91 in the upstairs bedroom of a house. You know, it, back in that time, everything was based on fax machines, you know, sending mail out. And then, you know, as we grew, we added in some access databases and threw up a website, built a landing page for clients, and suddenly clients wanted to have access online. And, you know, we put some visual basics to that and made it look a little bit more fancy. But at the end of the day, we had we had just built a great product that clients, you know, wanted to connect with, but hadn't taken a look at the business from an outsider's perspective. So we decided to go to our clients and ask them what they thought of sales gig. And sometimes that was some hard lessons. In terms of what they thought about us, they compared. We looked at the competitors' websites. We looked at the marketplace to see what messages were out there, and what we saw was this unique opportunity for us to focus on the candidate. Because um, remember, we were doing background checks, and those candidates were doing the screening just prior to getting hired. So we were actually a representation of the brand. And so, for what from from our standpoint, when we talked to clients. They told us that if we could help them look good to their clients and help their candidates, we would be differentiated in the market. So for us, it was a strategy for uh, differentiating ourselves in the market and being able to tell a story that nobody else was telling at the time. Um, And marketing allowed us to do that. So the website was the face. It was the skin of the business. When you're a service, you can't touch, feel, taste our organization. And so that was something that we could tangibly deliver it allowed us to, you know, give them a view into who Oracle was and how we were servicing clients different than everybody else's. Interesting. You know, you mentioned sales gig as you were describing this. I presume you meant Oracle. Oracle, yes, yeah. If that was if that was the case, I I, I now start to uh, confuse the words between my current business. And my business. <laughs> I well, I imagine it's on that. your mind. So um, that that's interesting in terms of of the market gap and the the opportunity to represent not just your company but the brand of the employer who's doing the hiring. I wouldn't have thought that was that critical for them. Why why was it so important to them? Yeah, so you know, there's HR professionals, recruiters, talent acquisition professionals are always competing for talent, and they mm-hmm. are you know, oftentimes finding that talent is getting competing offers. And uh, the faster that a background check can be done, the the less friction tied to that onboarding experience that can be provided, the better the likelihood of that company being able to bring that uh, candidate in the door. Background screening is, frankly, the last stop before somebody starts. So, you know, you get your job offer. It's often contingent upon a successful pass of a background check, sometimes a drug test. And so while mm-hmm. we're in that, you know, in between period, we want to make sure that that experience goes very handoff to onboarding is met with candidate satisfaction so that they don't get cold feet or lose time that often cost the candidate joining the company. So that's, that's why it was so important for us to find ways to 
break down that friction, create workflows that were more efficient, create integrated processes with HR platforms, payroll platforms, and uh, you know really become paperless for both the candidate and the HR professional or talent professional that needed that efficiency within the organization. So to use modern jargon, you sweat the customer experience, although we're talking 2009, 2010 here. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we we learned by listening to our both the candidates and our customers. I personally mm-hmm. found we did a lot of market research, a lot of competitive research. We also just talked to a lot of people. I, as a leader in the organization, I was never far from you know answering the customer call, being on the sales meeting, listening to the customer service concerns, and talking to our customers and candidates about their experiences so we could use that as insight data into how we could optimize the working function of either the operation, the service engine, the technology engine of the business. And that was the part that mm-hmm. really was important for us to connect both the front-ended side of the business to the back-ended operation that we were always running as close to instinct as possible, despite the fact that as we started going further and further up market, those needs and those requirements constantly evolved. That was that was something I never quite realized how much of a transformation would end up going. So what you mean is different customers of, of Oracle's had specific procedural requirements or appearance requirements that were custom to their needs? I think it's more just uh, market segment than anything else. So you know, when I started, we'd be excited about earning the business of a client that spent 5,000 annual reoccurring revenue. But mm-hmm. as we started to scale, then we got excited about 50,000. Then it was 100,000. It was 200,000. Then it was a million. Then it was 5 million in annual reoccurring revenue as we went from the SMB space to the small enterprise to the large enterprise to the global client. As we, as we grew through me running the business independently and then through our... Uh, being acquired by CareerBuilder and getting access to that brand and those larger clients, you know, we just we saw ourselves having to provide different levels of service to meet those client requirements. But at the end of the day, it was still a background, still a turnaround, still a right. product. It was the wrappers that we put around the business in order to be able to scale into those segmentations. That it was really a, a fun process. Yeah. Now, when you when you start to service different types of customers, it can uh, on the back end it requires something very different to service one type versus the other, and that can affect profitability. Did you run into challenges in that regard? You know, we we always had a very good handle on the financial operation business, um, mm-hmm. not only from a from the economics tied to what the cost was to service a client. Um, but then what it was also to actually build the product. So we always stayed very true to that. We we never ran the business with boss leaders, uh, meaning we stayed profitable um, all the way through the organization, uh, or sorry, organizational growth. That that was never in question. We always we always made sure we had margins. Um, but there was definitely mm-hmm. phases where as we grew as an organization, we be we were able to lower our price point. But then we were able to optimize the operations, either through getting, you know, cutting costs with vendors or building things that we at one point at one point had to buy, or we were able to use artificial intelligence or machine learning or web scraping to be able to source data when um, we had to buy it before. So our 
our economies became more and more efficient and scaled, and that allowed us to stay profitable as we went through that scaling ability. But we, we were an operationally efficient company while we were trying to grow the I think that's something that a lot of companies could value taking. Yeah. So that that is an interesting topic because, you know, as, as I talk with others, the importance of people and the empowerment of people and, and providing them what they need by way of culture and resources is critical. But we're talking here about operational efficiency. Can you can you give us your your perspective on the relative importance of, of both? I mean, I think that you get what you measure. And every business has different levers in the organization. And then every department and then every role has levers tied to them as well. And so for our organization, we ended up running, of course, our financial statements and constantly had forecasts adjust. But then we also had um, a combination of SLAs, service level agreements, internal to our organization and Mm -hmm. performance metrics that we held every position. And so what we ended up doing is running the business as we were scaling off of dashboards. And then we would tie those dashboards to performance goals. And so every operator in the organization, whether they were salaried or hourly, had a variable component reevaluated on a quarterly basis tied to the key performance indicators that we wanted them to optimize as a result of the, of the organizational strategy. And so we would say at the top, we want to achieve these goals from a financial or an operating efficiency perspective. And then we would funnel that down to every key operator in the organization to achieve whatever operationally efficient or compliance or, op, um, or organizational objective that we had. And that, that I mm-hmm. think, is something that you know, is so important in the organization is not just to look at the financials, but is to say, what's your efficiency ratios? How do you optimize those efficiency ratios? Not just from a financial metrics perspective, but from an operating metrics perspective, and then hold accountable and then continually set additional growth goals for each one of those positions getting better and better and iterating. So beyond some of the things we've already talked about here, what what were some of the other key success factors for the business continuing to grow? You no, know, I, I think for us, it was the go-to-market strategy. As we as we grew the business, you know, we had a couple great sales professionals that were very good at differentiating the product. And when we got to the, call it the executive suite to get the decision or to be evaluated as a potential alternative, you know, odds on, we would, we would win that business. The challenge was for us, um, we had limited marketing budget, limited sales rate. And so that, proved to be challenging. And I didn't have the budget to be able to go out and add five or 10 different salespeople. So what we ended up doing was we built a channel strategy. And so we looked at who was selling to the exact same buyer persona. And so in background screening, that meant it was like payroll providers, applicant tracking providers, HRIS providers, assessment companies, other organizations were selling to the same buyers. And so we went out and built a very comprehensive channel strategy where we put together referral agreements, referral partnerships, co-branding, um, shared webinars, um, and various types of events that we could get to. And by doing that, we really increased our channel referral strategy that allowed us to play at a, a level that we couldn't have otherwise achieved if we would have just gone 
uh, direct consumer or direct to customer through you know a direct sales approach. That was a game changer moment for us. And by the end, we had something close to seventy different partnerships that we were nurturing and interacting with at one level or another to drive referrals over to our business. Yeah. So if you had to do it over again and you looked at it from purely a capital allocation standpoint, meaning you can go the channel strategy and it's going to cost you X and generate Y as you saw it materialize, or you could go the direct route, which I realize is a bit of a hypothetical question, but you would have made that investment and seen some growth in that regard. In looking back on it, do you see that channel strategy as being far more productive than a direct approach would have ever been? I think that for my business at that time, the play was made properly, meaning um, channel strategy and the partnership route in the space that I was in was a little bit novel. Um, it was not nearly as sophisticated as it, as it is today in that space. And so yeah. I would necessarily, I would not apply that same playbook today, but at the sure. time it was the right playbook. For other industries, other companies in the B2B space that you know might not have become as sophisticated in that, I would highly encourage that something. Yeah, yeah. Was, was the education process, process difficult though, given that it was greenfield territory? In terms of how to optimize partnerships? Well, um, if you're going to an applicant tracking system, software provider or one of these other HR channel partners. And this is not commonplace where there's partnership in, in go to market and you're presenting them a value prop to, to work with you. Was that, was that a difficult education process or did it simply make sense to them and it was off, think, off to the races? I think in all cases, most organizations Assuming that you pass the test of not feeling competitive in one shape or another, um, mm -hmm. there was there was interest to build a referral partnership program, but the truth was like saying, "Hey, you want to work with me? I want to work with you. All right, let's make referrals." Only gets you so far. It, mm -hmm. You then have to go deeper and say, "Are you really targeting the right?" Um, ideal client profile that we're going after? Are you really targeting the right buyer persona in those same organizations? And then if that answer is yes, how do we go one step further and put action to that where both sides are making commitment? Meaning, mm -hmm. are you going to do a webinar together? Are you going to do a shared uh, press release? Are you going to commit to X number of referrals per you know X period of time? These types of Referral partnerships only work when there's action and activity tied to it. Signing a piece mm -hmm. of paper saying you're partners uh, doesn't get you one step closer to a deal. It's only when there's action tied to that. And so early on, I signed partnership agreements. Later on, I only signed partnership agreements that was tied to very specific activities associated mm -hmm. with getting in front of their customer base or them getting in front of my customer base in some type of reciprocal format. That's when it started. And yeah. one step further, I took that to the apex, right? So when I sold the business to Orica, from Orico to CareerBuilder, you know, we had gone through a process where I had evaluated all the different companies. I had gotten, frankly, forty different offers from private equity firms uh, to buy sale uh, to buy Orico, but none of them like did that thing I was looking for, which was 
take our business to the next level. We had differentiated the product. We were winning more often than we were losing, but we just didn't have a big enough budget to, to go to that next level. And so what Career Builder brought was brand to a space that really didn't have a lot of brand recognition. It also had 50,000 clients at the time and a couple hundred salespeople with an installed customer base that we could upsell, cross-sell to just like any other referral partnership. And we could do bundled selling strategies that was novel again in that space. And so for us, it was just a, just a further iteration on taking a partnership channel strategy and just expanding that out. And we did that really through the acquisition of Oracle to Career Builder. And that, that alone was a very effective transaction benefit for both Career Builder and Oracle. Super cool. How did you come across Career Builder as a potential strategic buyer? Because it certainly sounds like you were entertaining private equity capital. Well, in general, different sources of capital to get to the next level. So myself and two others were the were the equity owners in the business. The two of them were um, at the time ready to retire, and so I was fortunate enough to be young enough in my career that I was going to continue on. And so the other two owners gave me the opportunity to evaluate options. So I looked at everything from you know lending from banks to ESOP programs to um, all forms of um, financial options that were available. But at the time that I made the decision, um, the market structure was such that I thought to scale to the next level, we really need to bring in outside money. So I ended up putting together a process, went through an investment broker. We put it out to the marketplace and got 40 offers for the business with through private equity. But again, as I went through all those interviews, they all could bring me money. They all were going to bring value to the organization, but they weren't going to help us really take the organization to the next level. And so I then Mm -hmm. went back to those same partnerships that I had been interacting with and happened to connect with um, CareerBuilder, who ironically was looking to expand their portfolio portfolio beyond uh, their core business. And, you know, I guess, you know, all, all the stars aligned and they were ready to make a transfer transformational purchase and we were ready to sell at the time that we were going through this process so everything worked very very good there that's that's kind of how mm-hmm. that we actually yeah. we started talking like right around christmas time and the deal closed in february 29th of 2016 and so like we we moved very fast through the process once we once we met and started going through the process so Stressful, exciting time. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Did you what? What sort of things might you have done differently around the transaction, whether it be readiness or? Yeah, I get this question a lot from you know other owners of small to mid size. Sure. My feedback is, you know, the thing to know is that when you're when you're about to go through a transaction, whether you're going to do that now or in a couple of years, is that they're going to look at every single thing in your business, and so that means that. You know, sometimes you might take for granted filing that agreement or that form or that um, document or a partnership agreement, but all that becomes required when you decide to go through a transaction. So having your back office and your back office organization in order, order documented and prepared for visibility is super important. Two, the companies look at your, you know, your profitability of your company. Top line's important, but it's just as important to have bottom line uh, 
generating some some very strong numbers as well. And so I'd be as focused on my top level number as I would be on how do I optimize the efficiency of the business because you can actually potentially generate more that way. So the, the advice that you just gave, is that advice you had also received and in, in you felt ready at the time or was, was there the uh, a bit of a scramble, if you will, to dot I's and cross T's? I think no matter. So we we went through the process. Um, we were we had a, we had a very strong team around. Us. I, yeah, my finance and operations team was very strong. So we were prepared for it. But even when you're prepared for it, um, you know, my there was only about four people in my organization that knew that we were about to go through a transaction. And so you run the course of your day doing your normal job that can't get done in forty or sixty hours a day anyway or a week anyways. And then after that, you kind of turn off the lights, everybody goes home and you turn on your, you know, your workload to go through the transaction. And that's another 30 or 40 hours, you know, a week to get done. And so, I mean, there was days I was literally sleeping at my desk as I was transferring from, you know, one job to the next in order to get through all the diligence and find all the documents and put it into the, into the rooms that were required for. Uh, transparency to the to the entities. So you know the mm-hmm. amount of work is pretty intense. The other thing that you know always stands out at me is I remember when when you close on a deal that the term is clear to close and that means you're done. You have completed the transaction. And mm-hmm. I was I was working toward that that message nonstop for the better part of three and a half four months. On the day that it happened, it's a super exciting experience. And the next day, though, it's your finish line, but it's somebody else's starting line. And because mm-hmm. you're often still supporting the transfer transfer of whatever whatever transaction occurred, they're going to move at a very ferocious pace in most cases. And so you have to mm-hmm. remember that your finish line is actually the starting line, and you got to jump back in rowing in a in a different direction. And uh, it's something that you know I, I think. Kind of shocked me when I when I went through it the first time. Now I understand it more, but something I always mm-hmm. so save some energy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and get a new pair of running shoes because now you're running running with a new team and you got to learn how to work together and hand the batons off and do all those other things. Yeah, for sure. Did you, if you don't mind my asking, did did you anticipate continuing to run the business and and out in an, even in an elevated role as you were? As you ultimately did, you know, when I sold Career Builder, part of the goal was, you know, the the team that Career Builder brought to Oracle was exceptional. I I honestly can say that we became a very very strong team. I see how some teams could fail or struggle with certain types of leadership interactions. In my mm-hmm. case, I had a great experience, not just with the team that came to support Oracle, but also the core uh, career builder leadership team, and then the and then the investment groups that sat above them. They really mm-hmm. they leaned in. They were good partners. They brought what we needed, and they understood that we were going to be a key part of their team. But when you're a when you're a little company of you know like of you know the size we were, the amount of business that career builder could have put on us could have been immense and crushed our organization 
they were very diligent in allowing us to scale into helping them be a key part of their revenue. And I think it's fair to say anybody, a career builder would say that we're probably one of the best acquisitions ever made. And what's more important is it's because they didn't put so much pressure on us early. They allowed us to scale into their business. And by the end, we were actually a fairly meaningful amount of revenue in their greater organization. But early on, we were a percent or two, maybe. Um, by the end, we were a meaningful percentage of total revenue uh, annually for the organization. I, I think if nothing else, that made me most proud which was that we said we could achieve something. We went out and achieved it. They gave us the tools and the support, and, and we went down the path of that. That, that was a nice outcome. Not all, not all acquisitions turn out that. Yeah, for sure. It can put a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth on what otherwise is supposed to be a, a landmark event, right? Yeah. The other thing is, like, I, I, I don't, I don't mean to step over this because it's probably such a part of the business. We had, we had two hundred employees, and you know, some of those employees have been with us for over twenty years. And so when I looked at different exit options, career builder. Um, and this platform acquisition that ended up occurring allowed these employees to gain access to upside career potential that they otherwise wouldn't have achieved even with a small company like Oracle. So I look at what some of those people are doing today over Career Builder or other companies. I think that that's something that I take a little bit of pride in, which is we we put employees first, and you know, we didn't go sell to an organization that offshored everybody or did other things like that. We really gave them. A nice career upside potential because of the the work they put in. Yeah, what factors would you credit with the quality that you're describing in the post acquisition integration into Career Builder? Yes, when we when we transitioned into Career Builder, that organization from the CEO down, Matt um, Ferguson down, he and Mary Delaney, the rest of leadership did a very nice job of first seeking to understand what made our business great and didn't try to break it. Like they didn't go and say, hey, let me show you the right way. They allowed Mm -hmm. us to continue to run our business, see how we were effectively delivering service to our clients. And then as we built our strategy roadmaps and our growth strategies, they brought in strategic leaders in their company either to optimize our CRM system or help us with financial modeling or bringing in other types of technology tools to build our infrastructure or help with our data center, or whatever the strategy was we were looking to deploy. Um, they didn't throw it all on us at once. We took it step mm-hmm. by step and systematically brought in the right resources at the right time. And I, I remember when I, when I got my MBA and when I worked at UPS, I saw what it was like to work in a big and so I took that big company mindset and tools and processes and, and applied it to Oracle. And boy, it was amazing to see how that could help scale. And then when I went from Oracle to Career Builder, I watched how these people, all very talented individuals in their domain expertise, were able to come into our organization and help us level up when we needed the right type of tooling or the right type of systems, the right type of guidance at the time. And so they allowed us to be focused on our business and not get distracted on the greater organization by giving us the right tools at the right time as the business had different challenges. And, you know, by allowing us to, you know, 
independently run the business with the support that allowed us to really scale faster. And that's why we were able to have such a nice outcome. So credit for mm-hmm. them giving us some of that autonomy, um, yet full support. When- would you would you uh, describe that as leadership skill or process, the M&A process that they may have established internally? I, I can't put words in the mouth of CareerBuilder, sure. so I wouldn't try. What I would say is that the team over there was experienced. They had done other acquisitions in the past, and they, they had built a form of a playbook of what worked and what hadn't. They had had learnings like everybody else has. And so by the time Oracle came in, I think we were right time, um, right fit for uh, being able to effectively apply that playbook. Also, mm-hmm. uh, my, the, my, my partner in crime as we were building out the business, Mary Delaney, her and I you know, worked very closely together between what she was doing on the CB side, what I do within the operations, yeah, rebuilder employment screening, which was Oracle. She had done other types of acquisitions, and so they brought us the right resources to help us look around corners and know what was coming, and then also kind of be our river guide into getting the right people to support us. So, mm-hmm. to her for helping us, you know, uh, apply that playbook because otherwise, you know, it's hard to go into an organization and know exactly who to talk to. Mm-hmm. So when when you joined Career Builder, what? So one of the common criticisms, if you will, of a bigger organization versus a smaller one is is speed and level of nimbleness. Did speed increase materially as you joined CareerBuilder? Is, is that a net outcome of everything we've talked about here? We were already moving at a very fast pace. Um, I think that's just the nature of my leadership style in general. So yeah. we were iterating very fast. What the larger entity allowed us to do was gain access to the tooling and the capital to be able to scale back. And so like, you know, my background screening firm prior to CareerBuilder had great brand recognition, had run won a lot of awards, was on a great growth rate, was was becoming a competitor in the space that, you know, the the top three screening companies uh, in the industry were starting to take note of. But when CareerBuilder acquired us, they gave us instant access to a couple hundred sales and it gave us access to all these clients that otherwise probably wouldn't have taken our cold call, now was getting a warm introduction. In. So it allowed us to scale at a ferocious pace. And so when we started to do that scale and we started to show the, the financial growth of our side of the business, CareerBuilder made some impressive changes where they, they took note and they adjusted some of their roadmaps and some of their budgets to support our growth phase. And so by them giving us access to that, you know, call it cash capital, we were able mm-hmm. to expedite our growth and not have to worry as much about um, some of the, let's call it cash, cash flow management issues that you know, a small business would have had to otherwise deal with. So they right. allowed us to be able to achieve that, uh, not have the burden of all the all the loans that could have come with us doing it ourselves. So they, they allowed us to scale it up. That was, that was pretty yeah. cool. What were, um, to the extent you recall, what were some of the major inflection points as you grew at that pace? You know, like, it, I, 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 I 
joke that we lived in dog years um, because decisions that we made today were going to be the wrong decision in three months because we were growing at such a quick pace. What did work is that layering in systems. So like at one point, you'd know all your clients. I didn't know all my clients by the end. There's just too many. And so you had mm-hmm. to manage by reports, manage by numbers. Um, that was an interesting experience um, and a super high quality. So starting to use data to tell stories either on you know what the contact center was experiencing, either in our outbound effort related to verification quality or the inbound contact center on the service side in terms of you know what their ratios was for pickup rates, hold times. All those were key metrics that we needed to start to pay attention as we as we grew that there was a constant need for iteration on everything in the business. And so we just had to bring in stronger and stronger leaders that were able to help us um, meet the demands of the time. And that that was um, an interesting thing that the original leadership team that I had in Oracle, great people, some of them stayed as leadership team members all the way through that transformation process. Um, but the leaders that you have at two million in annual revenue are different than twenty million, are different than fifty million, are different than hundred. And so mm-hmm. um, we had to learn how to be open to that type of leadership iteration based on the demands of where we were going. You know, I, I think my yeah. role, my role changed right. Like early on, I was I was run, doing all the sales, I was doing all the partnerships, I would take escalation calls, but by the end, I wouldn't. I wouldn't walk into an account unless they were going to do a certain level of annual revenue. I was, you know, looking at what, what, what the organization was doing six months down the road, a year down the road versus what was happening day to day in the business. We still kept an eye on what the performance was. Um, but I was laying track three, six, nine months down the road for the operation to drive through down. That, that was kind of fun to get out on mm-hmm. the visionary side. And putting the the future of the organization in place today for them to get to. Yeah, personally, what helped you evolve as a leader through the different demands at these different size levels and sophistication levels? Uh, you know, I, I think for me it was um, I had a great I had a great team around me, and by having a strong team around me, it allowed us to all continue to level up our game. And- Form, but mm-hmm. we also had mentors. Like I, I had mentors around me. I had coaches around me that were helping give insights and thoughts as to you know kind of what that next level looked like. Career Builder, of course, their team was able to get. Uh, I was able to interact interact with them, get feedback from them. That helped us be able to see things that we might have otherwise missed, and so that was a great advisory and insight tool for us. And then for me personally, I I just that I am I'm an athlete I'm competitive in nature and you know we had this really neat differentiated product and I I saw an opportunity for us to go take a lot of market share quickly and so for me it was it was a passion project if nothing else to really achieve some of those goals and I think we did that you know I don't yeah I know we can that the business continues to iterate on that and grow, which is fun to watch that happen today, even though I'm not involved in the business. But uh, I do think we achieved a lot of those goals. So going back to my earlier question about inflection point, you talked about data and managing through the numbers more so than 
managing through observation and anecdote. Were there were there other things that were memorable level ups that helped you get to the next level? You know, early on we would we we knew what our cost numbers were and you know, maybe you would have called it like um, cost plus pricing, which is not exactly the ideal model for it. Um, okay. Moved to value-based pricing went on. Um, but then you know, I, I think our biggest level up is that, you know, we started getting into very significant financial forecast models where we were looking at every part of our business. We were breaking down each of the P&Ls. We were looking at by department. We were looking at our vendor costs. We were looking at our operating costs. We were looking at operating margin. We were we were starting to turn it into a science. And every time mm-hmm. that we had a question about something, we would have tolerances. So we literally built scorecards in the business, see how everything was running, and we would start to get yellows and reds when you know we'd start to go out of whack in one area. Um, and that ability to start to understand how the operation was performing or how the business was performing is probably my biggest aha, which is I, I wish I would have done that maybe earlier on in the company because it would have allowed us to potentially become more efficient uh, and provide better service. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, you know, no matter how big I got, I still just would I'd pick up the phone and call a client and just candidly ask how they what they thought of us or I'd look at our NPS score, and there'd be a client that gave us a, a lower score than what we, you know, tolerate. And I just give them a call and ask to understand because those types of insights allowed us to be able to go to the next level. You know, we we implemented in the program. Maybe it comes from things like Toyota production, comes from other areas like that. But we started to do things in the organization where the people anywhere in the organization. Uh, once a month could come to us with a presentation on something that they would recommend we do and improve in the company. And we would let them have the voice in front of the leadership team to share their ideas and their suggestions on how to improve it. And then we'd financially reward the ones that we actually selected and moved forward with implementing the business. But we wanted everybody to feel like they had a voice in place. Yeah. Value-based pricing, would you have also shifted to that earlier, knowing what you know now? You know, I think early on I was pricing, it was cost plus pricing, but it was also based on market market dynamics. And so <laughs> early on, you know, we, we knew what some of the competitors priced at. And so we price matched. And that was by and large what we were able to accomplish. But as you grow larger and you start to create efficiencies on the back end, but I mean, we really we started off as a service business, and by the end, we were a technology company that uh, happened to deliver the service of background screening because of all the technology we had deployed around the, the core product. That that probably is where I would I would tend to lean in terms of uh, that. that. Mm-hmm. Well, Ben, your run has certainly been exceptional. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now with SalesGig? Yeah, so um, SalesGig is uh, kind of the apex, I guess I would say, of what my previous two companies were, which is, you know, both companies were selling in the B2B space. And in both cases, they had good products and services, but limited marketing budget and sales reach. And uh, when I got to these large companies, I realized that small businesses have an unfair, unfair 
environment in which they're competing in because these big companies have big budgets for sales enablement technology and tooling and data so that they can go faster at filling their funnels with sales opportunities. And I, I want to see small to mid-sized businesses win. So sales gig is an outbound sales development team that uh, small to mid-sized businesses can hire on a fractional basis. And we help with targeting the right industries, the right personas. We help with getting data. And we utilize our uh, fractional sales development team to get those companies into conversations they need to fill their funnel. And that's proven to be a really fun program because we, we see where we start with companies and we see you know, where we go to with them to help them define their messaging and their personas and their ideal clients and get those people into calls and career of wins. And it's, it's, a, it's a really fun business. So we have the opportunity to help other companies. Well, it's fun to see you have come full circle back to small business. Would you have any other hindsight you'd like to share with those of us who are running small businesses and focused on growth? You know, my, my two cents on, on my experience was that, you know, I, I don't think I'm different than anybody else. We, we had a great service, great product. I just stayed very close to my clients and did a lot of the selling early on to hear what the unique value proposition was that I could bring to the market that was differentiated from everybody else. And then I scaled off of that. Um, and I think so many times, even today, like when I'm running my business sales gig, I hear of so many companies that say that they have a nice revenue stream, they love their clients, but when you ask them the hard question of what problems do they really solve and how do they make that better, that that begin, begins to create a little bit of confusion. So the more specific they can get on their product and their differentiation in the market, the better chance they have to scale. And so they need to build that unique story. And I think any company can do that if given enough time and focus. And then after that, it's just put the blinders on. I had, when I took over Oracle, we had seven different service categories or product categories, which is an entrepreneur's you know, MO, which is find anything that generates revenue and grow it. <laughs> and the problem was that was talking to various different personas and people and industries. And so we had a very confused message. And so like I shedded, you know, all but three of the different product lines, focused on one persona, built messaging to that specific persona. And then that allowed us to be very focused. And then we were able to scale. And then everything after that was, if a new opportunity came along, we only stayed focused on the, the core market segment we were going after and not get distracted by what I call shiny object syndrome. Ooh, that's cool over there. Let's do that today. Ooh, that's cool. Let's do that today. And the problem is, mm -hmm. you know, develop software development teams, service teams, product teams can't go deep into solid differentiation if they're constantly being spread thin going to so many different service categories. Well, Ben, thank you very much for joining today. I think we all have a lot to learn from your nice mix of strategy and operational competence and uh, ability to take a leap of faith here and there. So thank you very much for joining and sharing what you know with us. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciated the, the time and uh, always glad to share some of my experience for those that find it beneficial. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Hindsight. If you lead a business or are a student of business, this show is for you. 
please subscribe and tune in for a new episode each week. My name is Kanai Kapadia, and this show is produced by KGK and Company, the fast-emerging strategic consultancy to middle market businesses. You can find us online at www.kgkcompany.com. That's A-G-K-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y.com. Have a good one, folks, and I'll talk to you next week.